Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Stories from the CRISPR Drawer. This week's episode, episode uh, six of season two, is Ye, ye Old Yodeling Pickle. And that's old with an E, just because I wanted to be Shakespearean for a moment there. This is the second time I've recorded this episode. I recorded it yesterday, May 3rd, and I'm re-recording it uh, today, May 4th, because I didn't really like how May 3rd came out. And it's because I started talking about a topic and then moved away from it, and also I learned some things about myself in the la- after I videoed uh, that episode and was watching it back. And I will be videoing more episodes and hopefully posting them in the future soon, uh, just Gotta get the rhythm and feel right, and credit to this is both um, of uh, Sid Alpha on YouTube after watching his uh, four-year sort of birthday episode of being on YouTube and talking about how he does more bullet points and then fully talks about them in his own uh, style, not really making a full script, and credit also to Linus Sebastian of Linus Tech Tips and learning that if I was doing a review of something, it would be worth doing a full script so I could just correctly talk over it and maybe, you know, have information about it. But if I'm talking about opinion, the point of writing it down actually makes it not as useful because then it's like, oh, I'm all over the place. I'm running all over the place trying to figure out how I'm going to talk about this thing. And I'm getting my points across, but not as coherently as I want it to sound. So credit to those two, as well as credit to the people who have inspired them, and I will post links to them in the description below. So anyway, let's let's get on to the episode. So first things first, I talked about, and I am going to continue talking about today, um, well actually, <laughs> F that, um, what I mean is from the, fir- from the original recording of the episode, the big thing that was going on that really noticed me was the trailer for Sonic the Hedgehog had come out uh, earlier this week, and the design of Sonic was not that great. <laughs> Kind of an interesting, like, uncanny valley humanistic approach to Sonic the Hedgehog. Maybe not as, uh, not as cartoony as fans of the original Sonic or even some of the later generation Sonic designs have been. It's really like, uh, just yeah, uncanny valley, like disturbingly close to human, but also like close enough, but far enough that it's just you can't work. Like it's sort of your mind just doesn't like the image that they made, and it was it was not very, very, very good. Um, now, credit to the director um, and the creative team behind the movie is that they saw this, um, I wouldn't call it a backlash, I mean, I guess there was a backlash of it, but more of a, a large criticism from the fans of Sonic saying, this isn't the Sonic we know and love. Make his design more similar to the Sonic we know and love. And credit to the fans who, who made examples of what they wanted, who actually... One other way to Photoshop work and create examples instead of just saying like, "Oh, oh, that's not Sonic." Instead, they're like, "Here's here's an example of the Sonic we really liked," which is kind of a good thing. Um, those people who did that are considerably more talented than I am, so credit to them for doing that. Anyway, the that that was really good, and it was interesting how quickly the response came out. It was within a day of the trailer being talked about and how the director just came out and said like yeah we're gonna we're gonna change him around we're gonna make him more like the original sonic that we all know and love and i wonder if it became a thing of the executives uh at paramount or like the focus groups were all like oh we want sonic to look more humanistic and then they put the trailer and it's like well the people are gonna buy the tickets are the fans of sonic and they obviously aren't liking sonic at least the way we have him right now so that's 
That is a really good thing that they've they've reacted that way and they're working to make this better. I wish they didn't um, have to do that. I wish they'd had a better design to go with and it wasn't this expensive crap. We've only got about five months before, well, six months before this movie releases and now we have to work our butts off to recreate Sonic appearing in every single uh, single uh, scene or frame to make him look like the Sonic that maybe people are like and they better show that Sonic off soon or or else they're going to make a Sonic that maybe doesn't look as good as they want it to be. Um... I guess what I'm thinking of is they might want to delay that movie, potentially. Um, Hopefully they don't have to. But better to be safe than sorry. This is one of those things where a delayed delayed event, a delayed movie can be great. A rush project can be bad forever. Uh, A delayed, you know, project can be eventually great. So there's that. And I'll say this, like, a lot of the other characters in the movie, so whoever the... The actor who plays the sheriff from Green Hills, so he looks pretty good. Neil McDonough is in it, who's a member of the U.S. military, which um, I don't like how they're putting it in the U.S. I wish it was more referencing the Sonic canon with gun, but, you know, okay. Fine, they want the United States and Paramount, and it's the guys who produced the Fast and Furious movie, so okay, fine, I get where they're going with that. Jim Carrey looks like he's having a lot of fun as uh, Dr. Robotnik, and... That could be good. that could be really really good if if this is the Jim Carrey that uh, you know was really funny in the '90s and very early 2000s, he could very well carry this movie. And I saw that because a meme was having it. It's like Jim Carrey will carry Sonic the Hedgehog. It's like where? It's like it's in his name, Carrey. <laughs> Just make it a joke. But hey, it looks like it would be a really interesting origin story of this. And let's let's hope that it really goes well. I. I I hope it's a good movie, uh, not just a bad, po- uh, you know, not just an okay video game movie, but I hope it actually holds up as a really good video game movie. And remember, video game movies, that's not really hard to be considered a good video game movie, considering how many of them have not been that well. And I'm speaking as somebody who generally doesn't watch video game movies. I mean, let's see, what video game movies have I watched? I've seen... Uh, and I don't consider CGI movies uh, from vi- based on video games, video game movies. So like Wreck-It Ralph and Wreck-It Ralph 2 aren't video game movies. They're movies about video games, but they're not dedicated to one video game. Um, Final Fantasy VII Advent Children, but that's made by Square Unix. It was directly made under their supervision, so that's not really that much. And the um, Capcom pr- produced uh, Resident Evil movies, the CGI ones. I, to be. I guess I did see, I've seen Resident Evil and Resident Evil Apocalypse, which weren't too bad. I mean, they didn't follow the storyline, but they had the general idea of a zombie apocalypse and Umbrella being the organization that does it, but they created an interesting character. They're fun movies, actually. Those two are fun, thinking back on it. But I haven't seen Prince of Persia, Assassin's Creed. I never saw, um, I have not seen Warcraft. Um, haven't seen any of the Uwe Boll movies like uh, Alone in the Dark and uh, Far Cry. I haven't seen a lot of those films. And I didn't see the <laughs> the godforsaken uh, Mario Brothers film from the, I think, in the 80s or late 80s, very early 90s. I haven't seen that. I Like, anything that would be considered video game-related movie content I've exclusively consumed via TV show or movie have been cartoons mostly. And I don't think that fits in the same tier. So, you know, there's that. Um, 
is there any? No, no. Um, because called yeah. Because there's no Halo movies. There's no. Well, I guess there's Halo anime, and there's like live action stuff that's not really. It's more like side stories. So, uh, again, like you know, I don't consider those like blockbuster theater movies that you do. So that that's been my experience with movies. I just hope it's a good one, like a fun one that can be taken to. But you know, it's uh, thankfully it's not dueling against uh, Detective Pikachu that comes out on May tenth. That looks like that could be a very very good video game movie. It looks like so the Pokemon in that, in my opinion, have have gotten the balance of realistic, like they could exist in the world, but they're still cartoony enough to know that they're based on a cartoon slash video game. And I really like like the approach of that. And Ryan Reynolds playing <laughs> Pikachu is just really, really, really funny. And there, there is, um, there's a lot of guys who are going online, specifically YouTube videos. And I've watched one, like, trying to figure out um, who the Pikachu actually is, because he doesn't have his memory and stuff. And I, I don't want to get into conspiracy theories too much, or not conspiracy theories, but theories about the film and where it's going yet, because I, I don't know what the plan is, what the producers have uh, their ideas to be. I hope, you know, it looks like it could be a very good film, so I'm not really going to go out of my way to do that. But the crazy thing is, it's been like 21 years almost since the last, since the first Pokemon game was released in North America. Remember, the first Pokemon games released in North America were Pokemon Red and Blue for the Game Boy. Um, these came out in 1998. So, people my age, and the generation just un- younger than us, um, it was growing up just about, like, let's say I would have been, you know, 9 to 10 years old when that first came out, and then now I'm, you know, I'm almost 30. <laughs> yeah, a long time, <laughs> time ago. It, so, kids born when I was about in my teen years could have also experienced Pokemon in a great way, and then kids born after my teen years in my 20s in my late teen years, early 20s, they could also experience Pokemon in a new way. So it's it's interesting. We're technically, I wouldn't say three generations because not the statistic definition of generations, but it is two decades since Pokemon came out. So that is two potential, like, decade-based generation gaps that people could be going to. And I, I guess the same thing would have been said about how the Jurassic World... Um, continuity that came after Jurassic Park 3 like how long that was and how going to that film it made me feel like you know people my age who maybe could have um, or older than me who grew up like you know their teenage years was when Jurassic Park came out the original they could definitely have been taking their kids to Jurassic World it is sort of a monster movie but it's it's done in a cute way now Pokemon looks like it's it's just going to be really cute Again, Ryan Reynolds he just seems to be killing it, having fun. And, of course, after his uh, role as Deadpool, which is just really funny, nothing but, nothing but hope for that movie. I hope that movie does really well. And it's weird. It's a movie I'm contemplating going to see in theaters. Like, uh, not too much, but I'm contemplating it. Like, it's just, it's at that cusp of, do I want to go back to that child nostalgia of, like, going back to watching the original three Pokemon cartoon movies that were released in theaters, or am I at the point of like, eh, I don't know, maybe I'll wait for John Wick, which John Wick 3 is coming out May 17th, a week after Pokemon comes out. 
Um, good thing is, there's probably not a lot of crossover between that audience, so John Wick 3 should do well, and that's really exciting. I hope to get tickets to go see that. I'm not going to uh, look into watching any more content. The last content of John Wick 3's promos I saw was Keanu Reeves on a gun range training and figure and uh, getting taught how to dynamically enter rooms with his rifle, using his rifle as a club and, you know, a device to attack, which is amazing the level of those guys go to to figure out how they're going to do the actions in those movies. So that's that's just great. That's awesome. Really excited for John Wick 3. John Wick 1 was like better film than I thought it could be. And then John Wick two was just like, wow, where are they going to go from here? And then John Wick three, just from the first trailer of <laughs> Katana swords being used on motorcycles. Like, okay, I, I get where this is going. And apparently Keanu Reeves and the team making it, they, they said they have, uh, and Ian McShane, they have no interest in stopping at three. If there's fans who want to make, who support them making more and more episodes and more movies, they're willing to do that, which is just, that sounds really awesome. But at the same time, let's not oversaturate it. And I think the time period they're putting between making the movies is good enough, is good the way that they're separating the time out and they're they're not acting, even though uh, in chronological order, the movies happen one after the other after the other, how they're spending their time making sure it's properly done, they're getting the training done, they're bringing the guys on, they're not just saying like, let's go to the next movie immediately. It's like, well... Oh, Let's sit back and see how this does and see what the fans want and see what the fans think. And Of course, they're probably also being critical of like, oh, the fans want too much, so let's let's at least give them this. And it looks like it's going to be just really good. And Ian McShane being the, uh, you know, Winston, the owner of uh, the Continental in New York, he's just, man, he, he, he does that so well. And the guy who plays Charon is, again, just absolutely great actor. And Keanu Reeves as John Wick is great. And Ugh, Lawrence Fishburne's going to be an ad. It just it looks in, insanely well done, and I hope it holds up. And it probably will, considering how long they've worked on this for. And they they've shown off some good stuff, and they haven't also overloaded uh, the inf- the internet and uh, the advertising with a ton of other content. So it sounds like it's it's going to be good. And again, going back to Detective Pikachu, hope that does well, and hope the people who go have it have a, go see it have an amazing time. And, you know, that's that's probably about it worth talking about movies. Now, let's go on to, um, well, let's not talk about movies, but let's let's uh, break some stuff up. Let's talk about Ace Combat. So Ace Combat 7, uh, earlier last week, we got the information about when the DLC is dropping. And uh, what was that? Uh, oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> so... So Ace Combat uh, 7, when it was released, there was a season pass you could buy for it, which promised three missions and three aircraft. So we now know what the three aircraft are. It's the ADF-11F uh, Raven, the ADF-11, uh, ADF-1 um, Falcon, returning from Ace Combat 2. It was first flyable in Ace Combat 5, but it first appeared in the universe in Ace Combat 2. And then we have the uh, ADF-X-01 Morgan, which appeared and was flyable flyable in Ace Combat Zero. So that's pretty cool. I'm a little disappointed that the Nosferatu from uh, Ace Combat 6 isn't coming back, but, you know, it could. Although the way the railgun technology works, uh, the electronic magnetic launcher works in Ace Combat 7, it would make uh, the Nosferatu a little overpowered, having two of those that can shoot extremely fast, as well as having the ADMMs, the missiles that you can launch 12 at a time, and they fly almost everywhere, and they're almost like uh, the QAM missiles, which 
just seek almost all over the place. So I get that. I hope that airplane could come at some point, but I'm not really destroyed that it's not there right now. No. Um, and, you know, I'm... It seems like it's going to be pretty well. I'm posting a, I'm posting the link to um, Ace Combat Fan's uh, video about these aircraft. He's going to go into way more depth about them. He's flown uh, the few of them in Ace Combat Infinity, which I did not. It's been a while since I've played. Uh, well, I've only played them for the original Source games. I didn't play Ace Combat Infinity, which has some of the more real, the more updated looks to them. And I think he he definitely goes into better detail than I do. I could, but I'm gonna give him the credit on that. He's he's been pretty pretty good. He he thought like me that we might get this CF A dash forty four Nosferatu, but it looks like we were <laughs> wrong about that. It's cool we're getting the Raven that actually is a new plane that came out in Ace Combat Seven, but you know, I do like my Nosferatu. But hey, the Falcon and Morgan and Raven, what's not to like about that? <laughs> So let's uh, and let's let's talk about one more video game. So I've I've been trying to play State of Decay two. I played it for two nights. Uh, I downloaded it on Monday night and I played a bit of it Monday and Tuesday night. Now the annoying thing was it took a long time to download when I first started downloading it because the Microsoft Store for some reason wanted to download half of it at the speed of my internet and then drop down to like two hundred kilobits per second. So then it was like oh great I'll have to wait a full hour. So I stopped that restarted it would download four megabytes, crash, stop, restart, stop, restart. Finally, I learned that the Microsoft Store, like, and I don't think this is a glitch of Microsoft's fault. I think it's just the store coding. Um, and maybe it was the time I was trying to download and the server was talking to wasn't talking back to it the right way. It could have been net code in between my server, uh, internet provider server, and the download server and various other things. Like, But... Microsoft Store was only wanting to use 50% of my bandwidth, and I ran that up to 100%, and then it started downloading really, really quickly. I did have to restart my computer, though, because when I tried to do that first, it was still only, like, download 10 megabytes, crash, restart. And it just would just get stuck. It reminds me of those good old days, like, very late 90s, very early 2000s, when you're downloading something on, uh, you know, first-generation DSL internet that's still really sketchy and just... It works, but it doesn't really work, and you're downloading something from like uh, File Planet or um, or uh, you know a File Front, and it's like it gets there and it stops, and you're like, what? And it stays stopped for like five minutes, and then all of a sudden it jumps back again, or you get a download that goes really quickly at the start, like you know the first twenty percent of it's like really fast, and then it drops down to like 0.5 kilobits per second, and it just sits there for like ten minutes, and you're just angry about that, like. Thank goodness the internet's come a long way, but there's still there's still issues to solve on that. But eh, it took a while to download, and that's we're talking about it because it was annoying about that. Granted, I didn't have to pay for it because I'm paying for that game uh, by the Xbox Game Pass, and it lets me play PC games uh, that are only exclusive to the Windows Store on that system. So it, it with Windows 10, it wasn't too bad. And I'll say this: the experience of the game, it's better than State of Decay One. But it also feels not as, like, it doesn't feel the jump it should be for a sequel. It feels like a 1.5 version than a 2.0 version. Um, like, uh, in State of Decay 1, the original campaign, you had a character who was sort of a dedicated radio off operator at your base and sort of give you missions and contacts and all this stuff. And 
this game it sort of has that like all the characters of the base go around and you can select a leader which is kind of cool um and that can determine the perks your base gets but it just it feels um how do i describe this it doesn't feel as complete as it should be for the game it is and it came out in 2000 early like it came out early 2018 so this has already been out for a year and, I mean, there's DLC content that's worth trying, but I don't have that because I'm playing it on uh, the Game Pass, which is just the base game. And, like, the worlds itself are in. I've only played the first world, which is the Valley, which apparently people say is the best because it's, like, the most consolidated stuff. I'll play plat- the Plateau and the other, and the Plains later. But, yeah, you know, it, it feels like it's really good the the addition of the plague uh the blood plague zombies are kind of cool and how that can affect how you make medicine fighting that i mean i think they're new uh yeah i I don't think that uh concept worked in the original game a lot of the four big zombie attack types uh um i think three of them so like the giant one the burst one and the uh hillbilly like super fast moving one i think those were all in the original uh, I don't know if there were other ones. Um, I like how infestations work. I like how um, blood hives now create uh, even more danger in the area. So it's pretty interesting. I, I did like how um, the survivor gangs appeared and disappeared, and there were militant survivors who would appear and steal from uh, friendly survivors, and you'd have to go help them. And it, 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 Some of the mechanics are really nice, so I, I, I don't have too much bad to say about it. Um, what I would say is it just the end game doesn't feel as there as the original. Now I know that uh, the DLC pack, um, the se- second, uh, the first DLC pack for State of Decay 1 was more of like a play until you die sort of thing. It's just you keep going and you keep going and you keep going and you keep going and you keep trying to get better. And that's how it looks like they took this one at. But I like the definitive story from State of Decay 1 where there was sort of like an ending that goes to the city and then the third, the second DLC pack from State of Decay showed what that city actually was like and evacuating from it, even though it was a different storyline. I, I w- wish... It was the same like place, but it's a different way of telling that story, a uh, different, uh, different time of it. Like I think after your guys from the original one had escaped. Um maybe there's more to it i've only again played for a short period of time uh the feel of it is it just it isn't fully complete to me in my feeling like there's something missing there and maybe i haven't gotten far enough to actually experience that now the base building mechanics feel good um the morale system feels pretty good uh the ability to switch characters around is nicer uh the ability to select a leader and how that'll affect your camp is cool and how your characters can be both heroes and, like, raise up and stuff like this, and how there's moral points in the game, which feels interesting. Um, it's nice. I, as a zombie, as a guy who likes zombie games like Resident Evil, Left 4 Dead, uh, the original State of Decay, I haven't tried World War Z yet, and I've, I've heard that unless you're playing with friends on, uh, on multiplayer, it's sort of an interesting go uh, single player. But it, it looks like there's some good good in it i mean it world war z is newer of a game and i will have to try to get my hands on playing it uh try but i'll have to see if anyone on steam uh, any of my friends on steam want to play it with me too so that's sort of uh have to figure that out but again um i guess the thing is it's just it feels uh, how do i describe it 
yeah, it's like it's like ninety nine percent of what I want. There's or ninety five percent. Like there's a five percent that's just itching in the back of my mind. Like there's got to be more here. There's got to be more here. Always looking for the more stuff. Like when you release a sequel, you usually gotta step up your game. It feels like they sort of did, but they stumbled somewhere along the way. At least right now, I'll try the other maps. So granted, they do have three maps versus the original game, which only had one. But the original map felt like ridiculously well detailed and there were a lot of places to go and a lot of stuff to do so i don't know i don't know um my feelings are just a, a little mixed on that but you know I'll, I'll, I'll keep trying it i'll keep trying it when i can when i get a chance to and going back to movies back to movies so movies i finally had a chance to watch so i finally got a chance to watch marvel's black panther marvel's uh, avengers infinity war and marvel's ant-man and a wasp which I hadn't watched. I haven't watched a lot of Mar- new Marvel films in a long time. Like last year, I only watched of the new Marvel films in 2018 was Thor Ragnarok and um, and Guards of the Galaxy Volume Two. And Thor Ragnarok is probably my favorite right now because it's just it's so fun and so well done. And Thor through that movie became my favorite character. He was sort of like yeah, this is a cool character because I didn't watch the. Th- first Thor movie until after the original Avengers, and I haven't watched the second Thor movie, Dark World, which I've heard like meh about, like maybe there might be a storyline worth reading but about it, but it's not really like, ah, it's an okay film. Not really like, just, it's a meh. It's there. And of course I'll have to watch it to see if that's true. <laughs> Interesting, it's never shown up on Netflix, but Ragnarok and the original Thor has. Um, so I was watching watching those three. Um, Black Panther, I, I thought, pretty good. There might have been overhyping just for what it was, but I understand as an artifact of its time that is a, it is a significant movie in the way it is. All the actors are really good in it. Um, Michael B. Jordan is just as great as Killmonger, and as the character, it, when you take the context of who the characters are, it really makes sense, and it shows why that movie is actually pretty well done. Um I have heard, uh, I've watched a few videos where people have complained about the end battle taking a bit of time, and I could see that, but um, I, I don't know. I was completely engrossed in that film. I really liked it all the way through. So, was it my favorite Avengers film or Marvel film? No. Was it pretty good? Yeah. Yeah. It's cool where they took it. Um, and an interesting story that they decided to approach. So, um, it, it was good. It was pretty good. Um, does it deserve all the hype it gets? I don't know. I'm not a person to make a decision on that. Me, personally, I didn't buy into the hype, so watching the movie and then being like, meh, this is actually a good movie, made me feel like, ah, cool. I don't, if I saw it with friends in the theater, I probably would have liked it. If I went and saw it by myself in theaters, it would have been like, okay, I get it. So that's that's my opinion of of, uh, of uh, Black Panther. Good movie, good movie. Um, I guess I'm more like you know it's an eight out of ten for me. Pretty good, but there's better in the Marvel universe, um, at least in my opinion. I I still think uh, Thor Ragnarok and Captain America: Winter Soldier just seem to be like Thor Ragnarok is just funny. Guardians of the Galaxy is just funny. Ant Man is just really really funny. Um, I thought that Thor uh, that um, um Captain America um. Uh, so, uh, the Winter Soldier 
really approached the idea of the surveillance state and the militarized state in such an interesting way and was probably, at its time, probably one of the most relevant allegories for the surveillance state and how governments are going. And I think it still holds up. Um, so it's interesting how Captain America actually comes away as saying, like, I'm not for this idea of this, the over overpowering uh, state that's, you know, looking at everybody and got a gun at everybody. It's just better to have freedom. And that's an interesting take on Captain America. That's cool they went that way. Now, um, Infinity War. Thought it was it was pretty good, pretty good. Um, Josh Brolin sold it as uh, as Thanos. I mean, he's just such a great actor, and really makes Thanos seem as like you can kind of be sympathetic to him as a villain. Like when you know his story, what he's doing. Like even though it's terrible, what he's going to do, how he's trying to do it in a harmless way, although when you see in the post credit sequence of helicopters crashing because the pilots and the co-pilots are gone, but the passengers in the backside aren't. It's like, yeah, your indiscriminate taking of 50% of the universe's population really kind of killed a lot of other people in the act, too, and really harmed a lot of other people and shocked a lot of people. So, you know, maybe it's not, uh, you know, you know, the, that, that shows the reality of it. So that's why the post credit sequence is kind of important. It shows the reality of the in, indiscriminate uh, taking of half of the universe's population isn't good. Um, but you can understand where he's coming from to a degree. You, you understand, like, why he's coming to that, and you, you understand he's got this set in mind because he had one idea, they didn't do it, and the, his homeworld fell because of it. And it's like, so he's had that idea in the back of his mind ever since to do it to protect other people. So it's sort of like his character is uh, every problem's a nail, and I'm got and I've only got one hammer to do it, and that's all he does. Kind of a good allegory for using the military to uh, solve humanitarian problems. Like send the military in, send, do this, always do the same thing, and not think about like, well, maybe the issue's different on this planet, or maybe the issue's different. Maybe instead of sending killing like half the planet's population, let's see if we can colonize other places and think about other things. Uh, just it's. It's an interesting way to look at that um, approach of his character, and everybody was pretty good in it. Um, I'd say the weakest part of that movie is the first scene with Scarlet Witch and uh, Vision. I just was like, man, that made me go down and look at like how long is this movie again? That made me look at the task bar, uh, like, you know, the 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 play bar in uh, in Netflix to see how long I was going to be there sitting for that movie. Um, didn't really get that feeling from any of uh, Thor's story. Didn't get that from any of uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy story. It was just really the the like Vision and Scarlet Witch. Like uh, I understand that there's that in the comic books. I never read their comic books, and I never really saw them in in like the only Marvel related content I really took. Uh, I really consumed before video games. And the Avengers of and the Marvel Cinematic Universe was, uh, well, the uh, original Spider-Man movies with, well, not original, but the early 2000s Spider-Man movies with, uh, with um, frick, uh, Tobey Toby Maguire as um, a Spider-Man, Peter Parker, and the Fox cartoons uh, for X-Men, Spider-Man, uh, Iron Man, and the Avengers eventually did have a cartoon. I don't know who had it. I think it was on... Teletoon at night, like they're uh, they're more adult thing. I only watched one episode and I had no idea what was going on because apparently it was a mid. Uh, it was mid. Uh, what, what would be the phrase? It was it was mid season, like it was mid storyline episode. It was like they had continuity going through episodes, and it was after this happened. It's like, 
what I don't know who you are. I I, I know um I know Hawkeye there. I remember him from the uh, Sega Genesis Avengers video game that I really liked. I see Iron Man, Captain America. Um, don't know who you are. Don't know like uh, Thor. That's cool. I like Thor, uh, but no, I don't know anybody else. So really, really didn't see a lot of that um, content, and didn't really, and, you know, I don't really read the comic books. I'm a fan of the ideas of them, but uh, I guess I did. St- like I never, I spent my money on micro machines and video games versus comic books, which maybe was a bad decision now because micro machines aren't worth fortunes and comic books can be. So, you know, be that future collectors. But it just uh, going back to the movie, pretty good. Um, but it just, I don't know. I just it felt it felt slow at times, or uh, it maybe there were like the heart of the movie. Uh, some of the dilemmas like uh, that are happening in that movie don't really like just didn't really grab me as well as maybe the Black Panther scenes did um, from Black Panther. Like Stephen Black Panther grabbed me more, and it could also be I'm getting tired of the MCU and how the characters have uh, I don't know. I guess I like I'm not 100% sure about where my thought is. It was a good movie. It was a really good movie, but it just it there were moments I definitely thought, "Oh, this is long." Oh, okay. And I'm not saying that detracts from the movie. It's just my attention span was not as good. And I watched this a day after I watched Black Panther. So, there was that. Now, I also watched Ant-Man and the Wasp, which I watched right after I watched Infinity War. I watched it the same day. And Ant-Man Wasp had me for the entire movie as well. And I just have to say, Paul Rudd is just really funny. I really like him. Michael Douglas is like, I like him a lot. Loved him in Wall Street and Wall Street 2. Loved him in, uh, he's been in a few other movies I've seen him in. I, uh, he's really good at traffic as the uh, drug star for the U.S. government. And uh, and this, uh, I think he's a Supreme Court justice he plays prior to that when he retired retires or at least a circuit judge very good character uh, very good actor really like him and that movie yeah and i also love michael pena because he just really really plays the his character and x-gon is trying to go straight like really well <laughs> i don't know that that movie that movie was pretty good in it and that was that's interesting because after watching infinity war and being like oh how long is infinity war Okay, there's some good exposition. Like, why are they doing this? Okay, why are they bringing that back? Okay, I, I, now I get that. It was Ant-Man was like, I'm just having fun here. I'm just having fun. And I think it's because um, he is such, uh, the character of Ant-Man Wasp are such a different sort of character. Like, Scott Lang is such a different character compared to the rest of the Marvel Universe that it does put him in a, like, it does make him a funny funny guy to observe and watch and I appreciate that now um, two days ago on May 2nd what finally was it May 2nd yes it was was it May 2nd or May no it was May 1st they finally put um, it was May 1st or May 2nd Wonder Woman finally got onto Netflix and I watched that and (laughs) yeah I I don't know I I, (laughs) This is a non-Marvel universe. This is a DC universe, and I wasn't super thrilled with um, 
Like, Man of Steel was interesting. Um, Batman versus Superman. Uh, interesting movie. I didn't... F- like, it was... Eh, I don't know. There were things about that. That movie felt really long for what it needed to be. And it was slow building, and it didn't... Like, the fight was interesting, but it didn't really go how I felt it should have. Like, eh, I don't know. Felt just odd way of telling it, but heck, that's how uh, Zack Schneider wants to do that and all the power to him. It was an interesting movie, but it just felt really eh, strange how it was done. Like not not, uh, not fully fleshed out in the way I think I would have appreciated it. But Wonder Woman felt really well done, actually. Um, the Amazon characters were amazing. Gal Gadot was great. Chris Pine <laughs> is, I don't know, uh, he, he, he seems to be, when I see him in roles like this, I'm like, he's a really good actor. And then I watch him in Star Trek, in the original Star Trek, I'm like, eh, he can, he, he's got a d- diverse range of playing like a sympathetic guy to a, I'm, I'm Captain Kirk sort of thing. It's an interesting way of doing it. And I'm, I've seen him, what else has he been in? I've seen him in. He's been, oh, geez, I can't remember what else he's been in that I, I've watched him, uh, Chris Pine. And I know I've seen him in uh, other stuff. But, jeez, um, my memory slipping on that. Mustn't have been super memorable if I'm not fully remembering him. It's um, probably only watched it once, and I probably don't own it in my movie collection, which is why it's not uh, grabbing me uh, straight up. But uh, just, just he was, uh, it was, it was a good movie. Good movie, good movie. Really well, um, really showed the tale of uh, Diana Femskira and, like discovering the world and how well they they do that, how she grows up in paradise and then has to go and fight in one of the worst wars in history and experience that her naive belief that the uh, god, um, gosh, god Ares is controlling it. And in reality, he was suggesting this, but he wasn't forcing humans to do it. Although that could also be that, you know, <laughs> he, he's just skirting the issue of like well I told them to make these weapons and they made it but they would if I didn't give them the idea they probably wouldn't have done it sort of thing so it, it's an interesting way of how they skirt that and and betray that and how she finds out that maybe people are maybe there are just bad people in the world maybe not everybody's not all good so so you know given the way it could be it may be that this is inevitable and it looks like she was very very disheartened by that, and then of course at the end of the movie it comes back to well she she understands why she's she's going back to join the Justice League good fight, and it, it was really well done tale, really well told, really well acted. Um, did I just that was a movie where again I didn't I wasn't looking around like oh this is slow. It's like oh that's wow they did that wow and this is. It was very good, very good, very good. Kept my kept my attention, which um, I, I full credit to keeping my attention. Doesn't really uh, stay for long. What the heck? Yeah. Trying to get a phone call from Sirius XM Radio, trying to sign me up on my new vehicle I have. I don't. <laughs> I don't 
don't really like satellite radio. It's not like I don't disparage it. Like people who love it, great. But I've I still use a classic iPod and an auxiliary cable um, for listening to music because I just like that better. When I find new music, I buy it and I put it on my iPod. I don't like. I don't know. I sure people will say I'm not finding new music by not listening to the radio, but it's like yeah, I I don't know. I don't know. There's a thing of too many options are bad. Uh, for me, it's like I know what I like, and there's not a lot of channels that fully, fully go into that. Now, going back to movies, so I've I've yet to see Captain Marvel or Avengers Endgame yet, so I can't really speak on them. Uh, the YouTube community I float around in has talked about Captain Marvel and about Brie Larson. I can't even speak to that because I've only seen Brie Larson in Kong Skull Island, and I thought she was good in that. So until I see Captain Marvel and Cap and uh, Avengers Endgame, I can't really say how I perceive her. And this is something I think a lot of people need to get beyond. And this is something that actors need to and actresses need to get beyond is your politics off screen. Don't really like most of the world doesn't give a shit. Like we really don't give a fuck if you're progressive, if you're a conservative or not. It's like. It's like, <clears throat> it's like I like John Voight as an actor before I knew that he was conservative, and I love Matt Damon as an actor, even though he's a progressive. I think uh, um, Paul Greengrass's movies, where Paul Greengrass is a uh, uh, definitely to the left of center compared to me, he does great stories, and there are movies. I uh, you know Leonardo DiCaprio, I disagree with him as a, in his environmentalist crusades, but. His movies are pretty damn good, worth watching. So there, there's a point of where the talent of the actor out, outweighs their personal opinion, and I hope that Brie Larson gets to that point where she realizes her talent has gotten to gotten her to where she's going, not her politics, and that that's where she should focus her time on and just being like, sure, when you're on an interview show that's not talking about the movie where they're just talking about you, sure, talk about your politics. But when you're doing a campaign for your show, for your movie, maybe don't bring it up as much. Uh, it's something I like about Timothy Oliphant, too. He doesn't really talk about that when he was uh, on interviews about Justified, just was having fun. And I, There are things where it's like acting as a job and maybe make sure your paycheck is good before you mouth off. But... Again, because I haven't seen those movies, I can't give my opinion on it. Maybe she, maybe she's not a good actor in those movies. Maybe she's great. I'll when I watch them, I'll let you know. I'll put a note in that to keep keep them going. Maybe I should rent them at some point. But I don't know. It's, it's an interesting thing where there are actors who I can and actresses I completely disagree with in politics, and yet I still find their acting like good and worth watching. Just how it is. So let's go on to my final, like, um, final little thing. My final topic, which is a <laughs> long rant that I sort of, uh, like, let me set this up for you. So May 2nd, I'm on Facebook. May 2nd, Thursday, I'm on Facebook going through. And I have my, uh, sc my second screen on, open to my Google Docs page, writing sort of the script and basic for what I'm going to talk about today in this episode that was done previously in the last episode. And I, I f saw this ad of, from Ben and Jerry's ice cream. Now, I, I don't consume Ben and Jerry's ice cream, but I know they're good. Good ice cream. But I also know from previous watchings that they're, and 
news reports from Daily Caller and other groups, like more conservative uh, and more to the right of center news groups, they're a liberal progressive organization. I would say they're more progressive than liberal, but heck, they make great ice cream. So, you know, my my brother's wife loves uh, Cherry Garcia ice cream and they make it. They and I'm say, hey, if they continue to make that great ice cream, we'll continue to buy it. <laughs> If they change that ice cream out, then we'll find another provider of that type of ice cream. Not really going to say anything bad about that. And, you know, respect to them. They're making money. They're doing a good business. And if they want to do advocacy on the side, great. Great for them. It's a free world. They're allowed to do that. Um, anyway, they were they were talking about a climate strike Canada. And I'm like, what's this? I'm going to click on this ad and find out what this climate strike is. Now, of course, even if I politically disagree with them, I'm not going to deny them the ad for revenue of like, oh, the click, you know, I went to their stuff. But I'll talk about what was on their website second. So, Climate Strike Canada, for those of you who um, know about this, yesterday on May 3rd, there was in Alberta as well as multiple other places, uh, students were striking uh, against school. Some of it was in, for an Alberta specifically, it was mostly about the gay straight alliances in school and how the new premier, Jason Kenney, talked about, uh, said rhetoric about getting them done or telling parents who's actually involved in that. Now, that's a topic to talk about another day. And my opinion is, I don't like, I don't think schools should be involved in sexual identity. But I also understand the idea of if you're, if your family is like a, fundamentalist in certain ways like either christian or you know like right of center anti-gay sort of like if you want to call them homophobe if there's proof that you can do that or like would hurt you if you were associating with people like bad parents like who just harm people because they're <laughs> because of who they associate with and they think that's your identity is who you're associate <laughs> associate with excuse me i understand that i understand the production of that i just i guess i don't really care i think like Maybe they shouldn't be official school clubs, but just like groups that you can hang out with. Um, but I, I haven't been involved in the Alberta public education system in years. I'm almost thirty years old, so you know that's over twelve years I've graduated, and I, I'm a little behind the curve on that. So I can't really judge those kids on that because I don't know what's going on. I don't think that the school should be teaching sexual identities or. I think that that's a psychological thing between families and the individuals and their friends and like work to get it. But I don't think we should have teachers doing that, specifically when the teachers are more trained to say, uh, here's X place on a map. Here's how you solve this mathematical equation. Here's the science. Here's the biology of uh, dis dissecting a pig and sort of stuff like that. That here's physics. Like there, there are metaphysical things involved in sexual identity that you really don't fully discover in yourself until really your 20s if you're a male. Some may discover it earlier, some don't. Everybody ages in a different way and everybody matures a different way. So I'm going to throw that to the side. Like, gay straight alliances, okay, I get it. You, you don't want the government to tell your parents what you're doing, and I, I can respect that. And I don't think we should have the government also playing that they know something about the kids that the parents don't know. I really think it should be like government is like, we don't care. We really don't care if 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 a guy or a girl who have are homosexual or on the transgender and all that other stuff spectrum of uh, ident gender and sexual identities has a friend who's straight and I don't think we should 
care to protect their identities, but I don't think we should tell the parents who, that they're hanging out either. I don't think that's that's that, and I don't think they should inform that. I think that's up to the individual. And if the if the kid wants to tell the parents, like, "Hey, blah blah blah, is gay or tra- or thinks they're trans or is bisexual," that's up to the kids to tell their parents for. Have the parents react violently back? They're shitty parents, and there are legal methods of dealing with that. And I think that should be very carefully brought up. And uh, I don't like is the idea that the government thinks that they can uh, replace parents. Just my 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 stance on that. So let's keep going on to this. So let's so gay straight alliances. Okay, fine. And then protest, fine, all you want. I'm sort of, why don't we get that out of schools completely? Like, parents don't, schools don't tell parents that you're hanging out with a gay kid and that also maybe there aren't, like, these gay-straight alliance clubs that are officially school-sanctioned. Maybe they're just, like, just hang out together and do things. Maybe make things easier to be done. There might be a permission slip-related stuff, which is probably why they're doing it, because of, oh, we're showing off uh, documentaries or videos. I think that's where it's, like, that 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 is information that the parents maybe should be brought in, especially if it could be conce- considered content they don't want their kids to be involved. Like let's say they're religiously fundamentalist, uh, you know, or you know, just they could be religious Muslim. They could be really like fundamentalist Muslims in certain teachings. They could be fundamentalist like or Orthodox Jews, or you know, like. Very, uh, very, very traditionalist Christians, uh, Mennonites, uh, you know, they could even be Amish or Jehovah's Witnesses and stuff like that. There's various other, there, uh, there's various belief systems that maybe would be hesitant to their kids learning about this from school without having their parents either consent to learn about it or without parents being able to protest it in a peaceful way or maybe even teach um, their position first instead of learning about it and then being like, okay, now I have to react, maybe be proactive versus reactive. And I think the Gay Straight Alliance is sort of, is this weird, like, again, I ha- I'm not in the school system, so I can't really speak about it, but to me, hearing about it from the outside, it's like, I get it and I don't. I understand that you want to have clubs and I think that's fair, but when I was in school, me and my buddies had cl- had, like, clubs, like the back room club. It wasn't officially sanctioned. We just hung out in the back room of the classroom and made fun of stuff. And I think it's the fact that the school structure, the school system wants all this heavy rigidity and structure that's really causing the problem where it should be much more fluid. Now I understand the rigidity for teaching content and endorsing stuff, but maybe they need to ease up on some of that too. And I think the problem is the state doesn't like how they have to ease up on things if I was Jason Kenny, I'd say, like, I don't care. I don't think the school should sanction these, but I don't think we should tell the parents either. Not make it an anti-homosexual thing. Just say, like, sexual orientation is not uh, the, something the state uh, is going to t- tell your kids what to do. That's completely up to them. So if they need help with that, there's a healthcare system designed to do that where we'll step back. We're neutral in this. I think that would be the way the government should be doing is being neutral or non-invasive as possible, saying like, we will defend the rights of these individuals if they are being attacked by other individuals. But if it's more, oh, they're concerned because uh, a club, a parent may get mad for learning about this. It's like, well, y- y- parents do it like until you're 18 years old in Canada, age of majority in Canada, your parents really do 
have a lot of control over the content you produce. And I would also say to these parents, if you're letting your kids play uh, PUBG, Fortnite, uh, maybe Fortnite a little bit less, but there is TeamSpeak and talks, uh, you know, like open chat and Fortnite and various other online games. Like if you got a 12 year old who's playing Call of Duty online with an 18 year old and he's swearing his head off, he's ready for a lot more than what you think. He knows a lot more. Just like I learned a lot about the world by hanging out with my buddies and like, holy crap, are there words that we did not know about. Also, YouTube and British humor really taught me a lot more <laughs> going on. So there's that. That's, that's my little um, interesting side note on that. Anyway, so the whole climate strike uh, thing is these climate strikes are based in schools. Um, students uh, getting out of school, taking time off school, striking in school to get their politicians to react to climate change issues. And it was really became a thing after the Swedish girl uh, stood in front of her parliament building for 30 days skipping school. Now, credit to her that um, she wanted answers. And, and unfortunately... She has uh, her name has been abused by both people who disagree with her and people who agree with her but used her to get money. So, you know, I'm just gonna say she's a good person. Um, her heart's in the right place from my perspective. I don't see any evidence of uh, her or her family trying to abuse her name to do anything. I think uh, a lot of other information, like people against her, personally attacked her, and people who say they're on the same side have definitely abused uh, her for monetary gains which is terrible terrible and and i i haven't read a lot of her stuff so i don't know if she has any solutions or not so i'm gonna just say she inspired this movement it was sort of a thing in 2016 she did something in 2016 but then it was really 2018 it came to its head and apparently it was a thing last year which i didn't even know about and i didn't even know about this year until i saw the penetrary's ad on may on may 2nd for the next day may 3rd which was when the protest happened now couple of hundred, I think, spread out. I think the the Gay-Straight Alliance issue was the biggest protest here in Alberta, which um, makes sense because it's much more relevant to our current political situation. But I get this. Um, I'm just going to do a quick rundown of um, the uh, goals that Climate Strike Canada had. So first thing was uh, better, better maintaining of the environment and reducing of carbon emissions to maybe a carbon neutral or carbon zero economy. Okay, I can get behind that, but what are your solutions to get there? But we'll leave that aside. Um, anti-racism. Yeah, I, I, I can agree with that, but where is the racism? And I'm not saying that's facetiously like, all oh, racism does. I guess it's like, it's... <sighs> there are definitely groups with different perspectives who would see that the racism still exists in Canada. I think it's generally on the downslope. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> But I, I honestly think that we should treat everybody as by the content in their character, not by what they look like. If somebody's a dick because they're a dick, that's who they are. It doesn't matter if they, what their skin color is or what their gender is, in, in my opinion. So that's where I fall in it. Uh, migrant issues. Yeah. I don't know if the migrant issues work really well with um, environmentalism because people have to travel and migrants travel a long way and that can have an effect on the climate, but okay, I'll let that through. Social justice, okay, uh, that's that blanket term that I generally don't like anymore because it's uh, it's used too oftentimes to blame people who had no involvement in an issue or no connection to it to make them pay for it. Social justice can be a way of like categorizing people badly versus... It's a groupthink uh, mentality that social justice brings about. It's like we have to put everybody into these groups, and I'm 
And it's kind of funny because racism is putting people into groups. And social justice is responding to group think by putting people into groups and thinking as a group about that other group. It's not really racism per se, but it's definitely along the same track line of thinking. It, it's it's a weird murky area. I don't like the idea of um, social justice because I think it, it it elevates ideas too quickly and it doesn't critically think on them. It's like, oh, blacks were slaves. We need to do reparations for them. It's like, all everybody to everybody? Like, what was if a, an Irish family who only moved to the United States in... 19, 1978 had no historical connection to the United States before then. Only moved there. They uh, they have not committed the original sin that the people, the original Americans who were slave owners who funded the slave trade did. They may have had absolutely nothing to do with that. In fact, their family may have been actually Nor- Norwegian and like not even known that slavery was going around. Might have been lived in this small village in Norway for generations until the nineteenth to the late nineteenth century, and then they realized there's a world around them that's worth actually viewing. There's there's all these scenarios where you have to take a, like it's always the libertarian in me is like everybody has to be judged as an individual, not as a group, and it's. It's hard to convince people of that. It really is hard to convince people of that. The, the smallest group is the individual, and the individual is the important person. Now, th- there are reasons to work together as a society. Individuals work together as a society to make society better. But government isn't society, and government can damage society by pretending it's society. Just my perspective on that. And they also talk about indigenous rights issues. Um, and Canada, we haven't done great on that. Um, so there's merit some investigation on that. I'm not an expert in that field, so I'm not going to say, yes, absolutely, I agree with that, or no, I don't agree with that. Um, I think the problem is, is when it comes to indigenous stuff, we th- the Canadian federal government and provincial governments throw money at them. Just just throw money. We, we did the residential school system, and we tried to over-control them, and now we just throw money at them and let them do what they want. I think to a point where it's sort of, we want you to be self-sufficient and be sustainable po- people in this country. So we want to help you, but we don't want to give you $20 million to get drunk. It's sort of, it's like we have to take this really soft approach. Uh, the government needs to anyway. If they, they still want to do this. I I think that it's um, it's a thing of, um, we've, we were too controlling of them, and now we've bred them to be dependent on the federal government, and the federal government doesn't want to give up that power because what government wants to give up power? And it's a hard thing to do. And, of course, if they give up power, then somebody will say, oh, look, we're abandoning the indigenous uh, populations of Canada, and I think that's terrible. We should not do that. There are definitely ways to solve these problems. Some are going to be very complex and very hard. Some are going to be easy. Time to start working. But they also had, um, and I'll end with this, uh, affordable homes. Affordable housing. (sighs) Environmentalist and affordable housing is always a fun thing to talk about because environmental housing is not cheap housing. It's really easy to build build a house out of wood. You go cut down a section of forest, you refine that wood, you pressure treat some of it, and you put two-by-fours and plywood and shingles and you build a house. How are you going to heat that house? How are you going to power that house? Well, you need copper or silver wire to power the house. You need um, either gas, coal, um, 
hopefully natural gas you're using, but you might have to use oil. You might have to use coal. If you're a really old house, like using coal is just like, geez, that's dirty. Get a scrubber or replace that out. Natural gas, electric heating. Um, if you're lucky, you can use geothermal. Well, but that's to heat the house. To power the house, you're still going to require a power grid, even if you have solar panels, because so the sun is at average, like, not out all the day, and there are cloudy days, and there are days where the sun is not out because of snow, and there are days where your solar panels are going to be blocked because of rain or various other debris and maybe damaged and down. So it, it, it the idea of the affordable housing always makes me laugh from environmentalists because it's, it's hard to do the way that they want it done. It's very easy to use uh, oil-based petroleum chemicals to build a house very quickly. It's very hard to build a house that's carbon neutral or not, or less than without realizing that if they say it's carbon neutral because we planted trees to make up for the transmissions and stuff, it's like, okay, that's sort of playing the, that's playing a numbers game of arbitrary this versus arbitrary that. But I understand the idea of affordable housing. And the way to get to affordable housing is to stop the governments, the civic and state and state or provincial level governments or the federal level governments from creating over zenuous, uh, overzealous regulations on house building. That's just it. You, you stop them from being overregulation. Now, there is the point where, yes, you should have some form of regulation. You don't want an idiot who's never ever done any electrical work being the electrician in your house. You might have a house fire. But I think a lot of those regulations could actually be left up to uh, insurance companies who ha provide business insurance. If you're running a business and you don't have business insurance at a certain level, I think that you could say, well, you're obviously not this tier of a person to do the job, so I'm not going to trust you with that job. I'm going to go find somebody who is. And your business insurance has told me that here are the public records of these suits that you have had or dealt with in the past in your, rec in your history. The internet's actually a great way for this because you can learn Customer reviews. Imagine 20 years ago before the internet about trying to find out, like, was, uh, was uh, JB Electrical really good versus uh, ZM Electrical? Who was the better one? Now it's like, oh, you can go into Google. And granted, it, uh, people who rate and review, if they're not told to do it or they're not really dissatisfied, if, people who rate or review are either extremely satisfied, potentially paid, some of them, um, or really dissatisfied. So you get this weird gamut, and, and like the three-star thing, it's like really written reviews of the way of like, here's what I noticed, here's how I felt about it. That's what really needs to happen more, and this like, you know, three-star, four-star, five-star, it's like, there are some people who also, like, everybody has subjective levels of what the four-star, five-star is. Like, what happens if this uh, crew came in to my house, did an amazing job wiring Cat 6, wiring the electrical, left no mess, but because um, because of uh, my house's unique design made it hard for them to run the wires upstairs and it made it took them an extra day. I gave them a four star because it took them two days to do it instead of a five star, which took them one day, even though the work was flawless and insured. Or maybe a woman didn't like, or yeah, you know, woman or a man. Let's throw that out, not just woman, but woman or man. Maybe a guy or a girl owned a house and the guys came and didn't really like the attitude or like didn't like the face of one of the electricians and thus gave him a three out of five. Like, you know, the work was done perfectly, but I didn't like him for some reason. So, uh, you know, or me and him weren't friends in high school and I, d I still sort of have this grudge against him. I'm only going to give him a three out of five for his work or a two out of five, even though the work was done perfectly. Like, people have subjective ways. So it's, it, reviews like that is still hard to talk about. Anyway, going back to affordable housing and reviewing, stuff like that, 
Um, I don't know if 3D printing houses is going to actually do it because 3D printing you're either doing with with a metal or a plastic. Metals generally require oil systems to refine, uh, create the alloys for heating purposes or from transportation. Plastics are definitely mostly petroleum-based plastics. I mean, just look at your cell phone. Like, how much of that? uh, How much of your cell phone has uh, oil-based chemicals or rare earth metals that are very hard to extract from the world that either you strip mining or various other mining and drilling to get out. Like I, I don't know. I don't know where, where we're going. I maybe we'll find some new technologies and new chemicals in plants that will allow us to have organic uh, plant-based plastics that can replace, um, replace more of our harder petroleum based plastics. Um, maybe in the future we will be able to bake better houses, but as far as I know, we're still going to need to use, uh, some sort of wood, or steel, uh, maybe we'll find a better metal than steel, but we're still going to use steel, which is iron and carbon. And it's an iron and carbon alloy. And most of that's either coal or various other materials. So it's this is not an easy uh, not to crack. Most of affordable housing, though, is completely government regulations of overregulating it. Because you can only, like, to make a house cheaper, you're really at a point that the regulations require so much safety at the end, it's the aesthetic of the house. Like, do we do this versus this? Do you have this type of window versus this type of window? Do you have this type of sink? Do you have that type of sink? Do you have this sort of kitchen counter? Do you have that sort of kitchen counter? Do you have this sort of light versus that? It's like, you know, it's it's the finishing touches that really change the value of houses to a degree at a price point. Like, if you're looking at a um, 1,000 square foot house or 1,000 square foot apartment, assuming you can get that, maybe it's 850 square feet is more realistic for affordable housing. But it's really going to be your kitchen finishing. It's really going to be the finishing of the place. Like most of the building costs are going to be static. It's like 20 to 30% price difference is going to be in the finishing details you can do there. And maybe even less than 30. Maybe it is only 20 to 15%. And appliances and stuff like that. And at that point, it's really aesthetic choices. It's not structural choices. You're not going to build a 10-story building only out of timber. You're going to need to use steel and concrete. And those prices are commodity set prices. You're going to need to run, um, according to insurance companies alone, and probably city and um, municipality regulations, you're going to need to run sprinkler systems well. Sprinkler systems cost so much to do because they have to be properly set up, properly balanced, and all this. It's not a uh, you know one size fits all. It's not like you can just cut corners to make places affordable. The only other way I know of is what they do in New York where they pick uh where they make the developer pick some like have an arbitrary like 20 percent of their res of their units are going to be low-income units and thus they over they overfinish the other 80 percent to make their money back so affordable in uh housing is definitely a thing i'm fighting about um the interesting thing about these guys going back to the climate change uh climate strike canada is there weren't really any solutions they brought up. they brought up a lot of problems in the world and in Canada, and they didn't really say, say any solutions. Like, it was, here's these big, amazing problems, and here is, in one sentence, what we think is how we solve the problem. But it wasn't, like, we need to reduce carbon. To stop carbon, we need to reduce carbon. Okay? How, how are we going to do that? Crickets. And that's my, my criticism of these types of environmental movements about how they, uh, and progressive thought movements and protests you bring up an issue, you bring up a valid issue that's worth talking about, and then it's like, 
let's talk to let's debate and and have a dialogue about how to solve this no 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 i i don't know and some of them uh and this is an unfortunate thing uh i've learned this from the fifth column is is that there are some people who are so well versed in certain uh certain subjects that the deniers know more than the general layperson so uh like experts who are flat earthers have more are more could very effectively defend themselves against the layperson about flat earth and the same is with these um holocaust deniers if like i'm not an expert on the holocaust like i'm not a i have not spent years getting a phd and studying that stuff so i know that based on how some of the prolific holocaust deniers are if i went and debated them i could potentially lose I have history on my side that proves that it definitely happened, but they have picked, they've, they've cherry-picked their evidence, and they've learned it and memorized it so well that they could definitely destroy me in a debate and convince people that maybe it didn't happen, even though we have photographic proof of it happening. We have military, we have American and British armies and Russian armies freeing camps that definitely suffered through it. Yeah. <sighs> Now, going back to climate change, uh, I'm all for solving this problem. Like, we need to be better stewards of our planet, and we should definitely work to be better at that. Um, solar and wind are great, except they don't work all the time, and they require massive energy storage and massive energy transmission, because there are places where solar and wind do not work, and there are places where solar and wind work a lot better. So it'd be like, yes, you can build tons of solar plants in the Mojave Desert in the United States, which means you need to run a ton of transmission lines to the up to the north the east coast of the united states you're not also you're not going to run a lot of solar plants in the pacific northwest because of how much rain and moisture comes off the pacific ocean you might be able to run some um some wind plants but you're probably not going to get that many and it's probably not going to be super efficient so then you're still going to require and the wind isn't blowing all the time so you're going to need major battery storage which is why i'm pro nuclear energy because nuclear energy has a considerably smaller footprint than all of them in considerably more powerful output and has gotten safer and safer and new york times had an article about it three or four weeks ago about nuclear power which was just absolutely amazing about um, how a nuclear power plant in south korea and china cost a third of what it does in north america why because they don't because they figured out like a simple plant design that can be dropped everywhere and everyone knows it's safe versus how in Canada and the U.S. when anyone tries to build a new nuclear power plant it is to the drawing table for the first time everything's brand new it's completely um, one-offs and 10 years of environmental studies and fighting with the public and maybe you you may not even get a decision from the government if you're approved or not so you spend years doing that it's like uh, Bruce Power when they tried to do the Peace River power plant up here in Alberta now everything was done and like the Department of uh, Energy in Alberta said, yeah, we should do this, but it's left up to the minister, and the minister's decision was to not make a decision. So this Bruce Power folded the operation because they weren't going to spend $10 million a year sitting on a proposal, uh, you know, a stale proposal that's probably going to go nowhere. They wanted, yes, let's do it, and or let's, yes, uh, or no, don't do it. They wanted a yes or no very quickly, even though they did all the research they needed to do, and they gave it, and the government's like, eh, we're not going to make a decision. Another reason why government's useless is because if c private companies are spending tons of money figuring out that it can safely be done, the government's like, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not going to say yes or no to it. So, you know, you spend all that money, you spend $100 million uh, doing all this research, and yeah, we don't care. We're, our decisions, like, we're, we'll flip a coin. 
It's like, why did I spend $100 million if you're going to flip a coin? Oh, we wanted to show that you knew what you were getting into. It's like, well, we're the industry. Of course we care about what we're doing. It's you guys we're convincing. It's like, oh, you don't have to convince us. A lot of bullshit on that. But, um... When I, so there's that. Anyway, that's ending that about the climate strike. Um, I will say the, my opinion of, about the event after it's done, because it, it looked like it, 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 I don't know how successful it was in Alberta and various other places. Um, what I do know is it felt like when I was reading it, and thankfully it hasn't had this viral explosion that um, the campaign I'm going to talk about did, was the Coney 2012 campaign about how to make Joseph Coney the leader of the Lord's Resistance Army in the, um, around Kenya and Central Africa and Chad. Um, really bad dude. About uh, how in 2012, it was like, make Coney famous so that the Western European militaries and Canada and U.S. militaries will go and, like, the governments will be convinced by you, the youth, to go and take them down. My thing about that campaign, looking back at it, was I was like, okay, this is interesting. Okay, this looks bad. Because teenagers, being that in 2012, I was about 22, 23, Reading, um, watching that video, I felt multiple bad things about it. Mostly as, great, so we're going to have teenagers making policy and not understanding the consequences of it as more and more information comes out. turns out the uh, teenage brain, the uh, young adult brain isn't fully formed between 20 th- until 23 to 25 years old, depending on uh, maturity, uh, gender, well, sexual like uh, sex and various other things. Like for a male, it's usually 23, 25. For a female, it's like 21 to 23. Three of, I'm not 100% sure about those, but I know that like 25 is like the top end of when your brain is completely fully finished developing and all your centers are properly functioning. Or at least they should be if they're not. At that point, there is, uh, mental, there is uh, mental deficiencies and illnesses that need to be taken care of. But I just remember watching that and how that, that campaign was specifically geared towards junior high and high schoolers in North America and in some parts of Eastern Europe. I mean, Western Europe, not Eastern Europe. Eastern Europe would have been like, we have a lot of shit going on here. We don't need to deal with Africa. Um, but how it, how it was portrayed, like, go and put up these posters, go and spray paint buildings, get, like, Coney 2012 famous so we can get them. And my, my approach to that was, this is a viral mission that doesn't understand the consequences of what they're going to do. Sure, sending American and Canadian military forces to hunt down a bad guy. That sounds great. But what's going to happen when the Canadian or American soldiers start coming back in body bags? When we say we're going over there to save them. And there's various other things. It felt sort of like um, colonialistic in a way. Like Africa can't take care of Africa, so we have to get involved like maybe there's reasons this guy hasn't been hunted down. Maybe there, there's a lot of nuance in this part of the world that we um, we Westerners have not properly educated ourselves on and have, in fact, tried to dominate in the past and learned very harshly that that domination has not turned out to be the way we wanted it to go and harmed cultures that are were remarkable in their way and should have been documented and taken care of and, you know, uh, treated as allies and worked with instead of oppressed and forced to absorb into us. So it's, it's an interesting way. Interesting thing. Thankfully, the Coney 2012 thing really died out quickly because the charity that was running this like got a lot of questions asked, and it turns out they weren't like as clean as they wanted to be, and they had connections to groups in the region that had questionable morals and questionable 
uh, ethics as well. So people are like, oh, that's that's not so good. So they they got kind of got um, kind of got really cornered. And I remember just being in a in a history class, and the TA for my history class was studying uh, like international relations with um, in African nations and military stuff. And like prior to twenty twelve coming out, apparently like the um, like a lot of uh, Southern African countries, not just South Africa, but a lot of countries around there were forming up with the military, with the countries where Kony was operating in to go and hunt him down. Now, I don't believe that ever became anything big, but I know that forces were deployed to try to contain his operations. And I think that did work because I've not heard anything from him from them since. I think I heard like a press release about Joseph Kony in 2013. That's the last time I've heard of him. And granted, I haven't gone and searched for him, and he's probably still an interesting somebody, but obviously didn't need the attention. Like, the world attention of that video sending the West over there probably got the South African nations like, okay, the Westerners want to get involved. Maybe we should go take care of this ourselves. And sort of did. I Hopefully it worked out. Um, I'll have to... I, I didn't really want to look into that because it felt like that's not my problem and not my problem to throw eggs around or like judge them. Like, you know, do what you do. I don't want to intervene in your country because it could, it brings about multiple other issues. So now going on to uh, the Ben and Jerry's ad. When I clicked on their ad and went to their website, they had um, various information that was interesting. So they had five, um, they had seven amazing technologies and five methods of fighting climate change. Um, so the first method was using the Hyperloop. Uh, that's a project that's probably never going to come to fruition, as people think. And if you've not uh, heard of Thunderfoot on YouTube, otherwise known as uh, PhD Phil Mason, who's a brilliant uh, chemist who produces YouTube videos debunking a lot of junk science, including Indiegogo and Kickstarters and stuff that shouldn't be, he's also approached... Uh, he also done stuff on another thing, which they call Solar Roadways, which is another amazing project where... It sounds great in a PowerPoint presentation, but when you start understanding the uh, statistics and the math and the electronics and the physics behind it, you're like, this isn't going to work. Why would we put solar panels on a road where trucks can drive over top of it when we can put it on the buildings next to the road with a clear line of sight to the sun? So when I saw this, I'm like, well, obviously whoever wrote this article hasn't done their homework and just like saw fancy PowerPoint presentations and fancy videos by... Uh, influential people who aren't aren't experts in the subject matter. It's like Nathan Fillion says, "Oh, solar roadways, this is great." It's like Nathan Fillion's not a, it's not an engineer, not a physicist, not a chemist. He's an actor. He's a good actor, but he's not an expert in matter. He's not an expert in that subject matter. So he's a mouthpiece, but he's not a genius. So I'm approaching it with a grain of salt. And I remember the first time I heard of solar free, solar roadways. Um, was actually through a Thunderfoot video, like through his first video about being shocked by it. And there's been various other videos since. Uh, him and I believe it's EEV blog, um, uh, which is an Australian uh, blog about uh, solar panels and electronics. Uh, very, very influential blog. All uh, Not influential, but very interesting and very uh, uh, electronically sound um, blog. The guy who takes the parts, like, you know, sound... Uh, you know, uh, what are they called? Um, PA systems and various electronic components to see what and how they're made and stuff. And he has a solar panel array on his house so he can, he could test like how much money would solar roadways be 
for the solar panels, like how much area versus his solar array and figure out how much better it'd be to put it at a 45 degree angle on his roof without having it track the sun, yet alone if it did track the sun and do all that mathematics. And they, they've, they also talked about how they want to have solar powered aircraft, which is cool. Put a full load on that, make it a 737 and put a full load of people and cargo on it. And you're going to realize that the solar panels probably aren't going to be able to produce enough power to push that thing, at least as solar panels right now, and especially since solar panels degrade 1% a year, and the higher, the more heat they have, the more damage they suffer, various other things. I mean, they have had solar airplanes successfully fly, NASA has done that, and various other tests have done that, but it's not a one-size-fits-all, um, doesn't just, it's going to take a lot of science and work to do it, plus you're still going to need oil to lubricate these parts no maybe that could be canola oil maybe that could be vegetable oil uh you know maybe that could be oil from organic substances that isn't extracting it from the ground maybe not i'm not saying like canola oil can be a good oil for both cooking and lubrication for certain things like um rapeseed oil was used by the russian military in world war ii to keep their weapons lubricated and it didn't freeze up unlike the synthetic german stuff that the germans were using so take it that another one is, is they were talking about how um Subway systems. Now, subway systems are great, except there are cities in the world that can't use subway systems, where you would need a ton of pumps systems to keep the subway dry. Now, granted, New York New York has a subway system, so does London. Uh, Mexico City has a subway transit system that seems to work pretty well. But you are talking about a lot of digging, and digging and tunneling is a very expensive endeavor. Now, Calgary, we don't have a subway system. We have a light transit rail system and a bus system. And we're sort of taking our bus system closer to how uh, one of these guys talked about, it, which was a small city in um, Brazil created these bus stops that are more like train stations, where instead of a ground-level stop, it's actually elevated, and it's quickly get on, quickly get off, and the bus can get moving. And it's a dedicated lane for the buses. Now, a city that's really done that, has really embraced that, is Bogota, Colombia. Bogota, Colombia has a population of 8 million people, and I've been there twice in the last four years. They did that to reduce congestion. Now, I can say that from my time, now granted, I've only been there twice, and I was not there prior to the buses being installed this way. But since there, it's still pretty freaking busy on the roads. It's still not really fast to get anywhere. There are times where it is, and there are times where it is dead crawls to get a, like, you know, drive five miles might take you 40 minutes. Sort of thing. It's not, it is a constricted city. Now, granted, a city of 8 million people, there's a lot of people who are going to have cars, there's a lot of people who are going to have trucks, there's a lot of people who are going to get on the buses. So maybe it's helped a lot, but it obviously hasn't solved the problem, and a subway system is very expensive, and Bogota is built in the mountains, so it would require a lot of heavy uh, drilling to get through that stuff, so it might help, but that's very expensive to do. Side note, uh, Colombia is a beautiful country. If you have a chance to go and visit there and learn about the culture and experience the people, it's it's great. Their 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 dark part of their history from the uh, during the Cold War and a little bit after now the FARC has disappeared. It's really worth going and visiting and seeing it, seeing how the two superpowers really did <coughs> almost break that country apart with its civil war on both the FARC and then the drug operations that happened afterwards. And how, you know, the two superpowers, Russia and the United States, really can fuck a lot of countries up. Uh, so, so then they talk about geothermal power, which is great where you can easily access it and where you can't, it's a lot of work. 
Uh, I mean, it's worth expo- it's worth exploring and deploying more often if we can. But it's not like, hey, there's a there's a you know, there's a geyser. Let's put it in, let's put a uh, geothermal plant right beside it. Because you're still gonna have to deal with environmentalists fighting. Like, oh, we don't want a geothermal plant because you could potentially poison the water or something. There are various excuses people can make up for this. So you know, we'll deal with that. And then um, you know, there's other technologies they want to talk about. Uh, a lot of it's roadways, though. A lot of it's regulations and saying, like, uh, like they talked about how um, they wanted this uh, machine that was tested off of um, Hawaii. It used the way uh, the uh, motion of the ocean, so waves, to power themselves. The article that actually that Ben and Jerry's linked to was interesting because the article actually said this project is too expensive as long as oil remains at the pr- at a competitive price. And will and even with solar and wind dropping in prices, oil will still be considerably cheaper. The only way this product to compete would be if oil was artificially like priced out of competition. It's like, well, that's government regulation, and if you need government regulation to remove a system from the uh, economy, <laughs> that means you have a market, a forced market failure, because you're now artificially destroying a supply of a good to make the world work. Now, I'm for getting off of oil using nuclear power, but we can't just do it wholesale. We have to think about a way to carefully do it as long as keeping the economies intact. Now, the economies, all economies are going to be switching from fossil fuels to nuclear power or even other sources such as wind, solar, geothermal, are going to take a hit, no matter what. But if it comes, what's the acceptable hit? And I I think um, that's something that society itself not society and government society itself needs to figure out the individuals we need to get together and talk about this i don't think we can trust our our politicians to actually make the decision they're either going to be reactionary and be too quick on it or they're going to be very 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 conservative and be too slow on it there is a speed of what we have to move to do this also um speaking of that when did this 12 year and 11 years from disaster start coming out like who really started that i know that uh Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez um, talked about it in her Green New Deal, but where did that number come from? Like seriously, I I, I don't know. I I I I just don't know. Yeah, but jumping around here, um, you know, sub when when they do talk about subways, I love how a lot of um, progressives use 19th century technology such as trains to solve 21st century problems. Now, hear me out. I know that trains are more efficient at straight-line travel of goods than trucks are. But it takes way more space to turn a train than it does to turn a truck. So I, my solution would be keep trucks for the cities, trains for multi for in-between-city transport. Like, if you're bringing a container worth of goods into, let's say, Vancouver, the port of Vancouver, and you're loading it on a truck to drive to Calgary, load it on a freaking train. It's going to cost way less. It's going to be more efficient, more environmentally sound. Now, granted, there are um, issues where trains are not better, such as pipelines for oil and fuel. It should definitely be sent through pipelines versus trains, because train tracks usually are close to waterways, because waterways have eroded mountains and pathways through, which make it easy to follow them and easy to make the railroad follow them with less resistance. Uh, you know, a train of 30 cars of oil falling into a river, that's, uh, that's almost it for the river at that point. Like, that's a huge cleanup operation. Uh, 
just terrible. Also, railways require steel, which is copper and, uh, no, not copper, um, iron and carbon bin alloys. So, you know, it's a lot of half, it's a lot of half-baked uh, solutions. It's like, we know what the problem is. Yeah. So what are the solution? Well, here's some things I saw on uh, the internet that seemed to convince me. Uh, did you do any research on it? No, their presentation looked convincing enough. It's like, well, do they have any citations? Do they have any tests that show it works? Well, uh, you know, because I can tell you that Solar Roadways, like, hasn't, according to Phil Mason's last video, hasn't produced power since September 2018. And it's making, like, three cents a day in power in their test installation. And now they want to put it on boats, and they're in the Smithsonian. Like, if I was putting something in, Smith in the Smithsonian... It's like, that is a fundamentally amazing idea that's been proven. And in Europe, two companies, two roadway companies, tried to make amazing solar pathways and roadways. And one was like a uh, system that could uh, just be stuck on pavement. And even that was at the end of the test. Like, it turned out it was just not viable in the long run. These guys found out it was just very expensive and didn't, didn't return the, the uh, wasn't like worth the cost of development. Now, maybe in the future, if some great technology suddenly appears and we figure out uh, better ways of uh, storing, storing energy, we'll have a way to solve this. But right now, we don't. Right now, our battery technology is based on the lithium-ion. is our best battery we have right now for cars uh, based on power, power storage. And that is still nothing compared. That is still like 100th the power storage compared to gasoline in the same volume. So, there's a lot of uh, room for improvement. If our technology can make those improvements, great. If they can't, well, what do we do? I, I, I do want a cleaner world to go with. But when people say, oh, we'll just get Tesla taxis. It's like, well, what about the power grid? Are you turning the power grid into renewable energy? It's like, oh, no, no. It's like, okay, so you're still using fossil fuels in the end. So, it's it's... You know, again, it's a lot of these half-baked, half-thought-out uh, half plans and issues. I get it. There's a lot of problems. We know what the problems are, and the solutions are very hard to come by. But the, but so the issues for one side is that they don't want to change the economy, and they don't want to damage it. Granted, that's true. Like, yeah, people who are part of the anti-climate change movement, not just them, but also like the pro-oil, they don't want to see a lot of that industry move because maybe they have investments in it, and it's... Big industry here in Alberta, reducing the uh, oil industry is a very scary prospect. But I think Alberta needs to invest in more uh, industries, recycling industries, uh, technology industries. We need more of that. Like we've thrived on oil, but it's time we start investigating in other possible revenue streams and income streams for our populations. Also, though, um, the anti uh, anti global warming people. They're eventually going to start realizing that they've uh, that reality's knocking on their door, and we can't spend forever. But there are also pro environmentalists who are investors in the industries that would that would replace oil. Like there are guys who have spent fortunes building solar systems uh, that solar panel units that would not exist without government regulation, saying uh, would not make money if the government. If the government didn't intervene to say we need solar panels to replace oil in sectors. So it's, it's, it's a mixed bag problem.
it's a mixed bag, half-baked issues. I don't know where we're going to go off with this. But uh, we'll have to... We, we need to work and find a way. And I think Nuclear Power, as uh, Phil Mason and James Lovelock, um, I believe uh, to, uh, uh, the late James Lovelock, I think he has passed away. Those two say Nuclear Power is great, and they're brilliant scientists who actually have studied this stuff and work with this stuff all the time. Now, I'm not saying we reduce new regulation in nuclear power. What I say is we get smart about the regulation of nuclear power. We have so much regulation on the books in our governments that a lot of it's almost uh, redundant in a way, and I think we could reduce that, reduce that redundancy and improve our situation. And it's not a, a one-size-fits-all. Nuclear power may not work everywhere. I mean, it technically can, but it might be worth using it along with solar, wind, uh, geothermal, and hydroelectric, and wind and water, and you know, so and ocean-based plants. But these uh, these are going to require a lot of work, and people are going to have to accept that their environment is going to change. Like um, one of the big uh, this is uh, going from Ronald Bailey, wrote about this in Reason Magazine last month, about how there was a very large wind farm that was going to be put off the ocean, uh, the uh, east coast ocean of the United States, off of, uh, I believe, South... Uh, I can't remember. South Carolina, if I'm correct. I'm probably wrong. The protests about that were... They didn't want... People, even though these were like 30 or 40 miles out off to sea, they didn't want to see them done, and the... State government wasn't approving the operation. The federal government had approved it, but the state government wasn't approving the lines to drill for the uh, electrical conduit to come back into the United States and blah 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 and all this stuff. It would have like powered half the half the state completely. But people were concerned about, oh well, you're going to damage my shoreline. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. You're going to do this. You might damage the fisheries. Uh, you know, you haven't studied how this is going to change. Um, change the environment for the fish out at the sea. Uh, it's going to have an issue where I take my friends fishing when I decide to take them out to sea. And it's all this, uh, you, you know, everybody has a say in it. You know, everybody wants to get their input, but nobody wants to make a solution. Nobody wants to make a compromise of like, okay, well, if we put five, uh, five giant turbines out in the middle of the ocean, you know, I'll have to drive my boat over to see them. So that's when it gets annoying, and that might be my favorite fishing spot. It might now be dredged up for me to go do this stuff, but it might mean that half my state doesn't require us an oil power plant anymore. So that's, that's, it's, that's my thing about climate change. It's, it's, uh, you getting everybody on board and making them understand that sacrifices will have to be made, but we shouldn't force the government to get people in line. It's like, we have to make rational choices and work together there and compromise as friends and allies not as my side one so you have to shut up sort of thing all right well anyway after that uh, that rant let's uh, let's end this uh this was ye old yodeling pickles uh, episode uh six from season two may the fourth be with you and you know i just want to say this before i end I, like, May the Fourth Be With You is a really good punny joke for Star Wars, but since nothing significant Star Wars happened on May the Fourth, as far as I know, don't really care, don't really like the joke. All right, well, that's it. Uh, hope to catch you uh, next episode. Hopefully you tune in next episode. Thank you, and bye. <laughs>